In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Very warm welcome to all of you, especially those uh, who are here with our Boy Scout troop, Troop 110. So glad to have you here with us on this Scout Sunday. Our, our gospel passage this morning comes uh, from the portion of Luke's gospel that is often called the Sermon on the Plain. You've probably heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Plain is sort of like the Sermon on the Mount's lesser known little brother. Um, it contains a lot of similar teaching. Some important differences. Uh, Jesus was probably working from the same notes as he was uh, making his way around Galilee, uh, preaching a similar sermon. Uh, Jesus wasn't standing on a mountainside this time like he was for the Sermon on the Mount. He was standing on a level place. Uh, He was, uh, hence the Sermon on the Plain, right? And so one day, this sermon will be known as the Sermon in the Pulpit, uh, right here. Um, Thousands of years from now, I'm sure. Um, you know, I've read this passage, this gospel passage, many times, but I have to tell you that I really, uh, really wrestled with it uh, this week. It, it is it's startling. I don't know if it caught you that way when Father Trent read it, but I imagine that one of the reasons that the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew is so much more popular and so much more well-known than the Sermon on the Plain in Luke uh, is that Matthew has Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in spirit, in righteousness, these, you know, it's metaphorical, it's spiritual. We can kind of make it work for ourselves. Not so for the Sermon on the Plain. Luke has Jesus saying, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. I mean, there's just no obvious metaphor. It's hard or harder to make it work for us. And then Luke does what uh, includes what Matthew does not include, and that is corresponding woes. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. It kind of sounds like Jesus is saying poor, good, rich, bad. Hungry, good, full, bad. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. I mean, that it, it doesn't make sense that we, it would be better to be poor and hungry and sad than it would to be rich and full and happy. And, and that's just not like our culture right now. That's a human thing. That is, I mean, there's never been a society, and there never will be a society, that prizes poverty and sadness over wealth and happiness. It's just not going to happen. So what exactly is Jesus saying? And how shall we respond? Those are our two governing questions for this sermon. What exactly is Jesus saying? And how shall we respond? So first, what, is, what exactly is Jesus saying? I wonder if you have ever been through something terrible or sad, or painful, only to see later how much good came out of that situation. Now, if you've been through something terrible and you hadn't seen good, I don't want to gloss over that, Uh, but a lot of times we see good 
coming out of really negative, uh, painful situations. Uh, you wanted out of it then. You wanted it to stop. You wanted it to change. But now we're almost thankful for it. We actually wouldn't trade it for anything. This is the alcoholic who has been to rock bottom. But now that he's sober, uh, his life has lived in gratitude and he is equipped to help other people who are where he has been. This is the mother who has lost a child, but now as part of her own healing is sitting with another mother in her grief. Or maybe it's the job that you didn't get. Or the relationship that came to an end. Or the financial crisis that led to a better opportunity. Or a new relationship. Or a financial, uh, financial wisdom that paid off in the end. And probably like you, I've had uh, several instances in my own life uh, where great good came out of very painful situations. In my own mind, the, mo- the biggest, the, the most notable is a story I've told at least a couple of times uh, about when I was actually uh, turned down for the ordination process uh, initially. It was incredibly painful to be told by my denomination, the Episcopal Church, that, that it, it wasn't going to happen. But I would not trade that circumstance. I wouldn't wish it on anybody because it's painful, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything uh, because God taught me so much in that season. Um, and, and He did so much in my life as a direct result of that, and it set me on a different trajectory than I uh, had planned for myself. <laughs> Thanks, God. You know. In fact, I, I would say that, um, that, that I am your rector because of the events that were set in motion by being turned down that first time. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty happy with the arrangement. So um, Donald Miller is an author I like a lot. He talks about how he woke up one morning and he had realized that all his money was gone. Uh, He had made a bad investment. He had had a New York Times best-selling title and he made a considerable amount of money, and he put it in what intended to be a, uh, a temporary investment, gone. And now, nearly 10 years later, he can say with confidence that that was the best day of his financial life. It brought clarity to what he wanted his life to be about. It brought the wisdom of experience, it evaporated his sense of entitlement and gave him an element of caution that he had not had before. All elements that enabled him to make back what he had lost many times over. So there was a blessedness that came from that very dark situation for Miller, just as there was a blessedness that came in that dark season for me. When we go through these times, we want out, right? We, we want it to end. We want, we're looking ahead. Uh, we're looking down the road. And we're saying our prayers. And we're taking notice of just even the smallest opportunities that Jesus brings our way. But you know, in the good times, the rich times, the, the times of plenty, sometimes we forget to look ahead. You know, we don't really need to. We, we're looking at ourselves and we're good. We're proud. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Remember, this is a sermon on the plain. Everyone's standing on equal ground. 
shoulder to shoulder, level with one another. Jews and Gentiles, actually. Beth Lunsford pointed that out to me this, in a staff meeting this week, and I think she's right about that. Jesus is not saying that poor people are better than rich people. He's not saying that poverty is preferable to wealth. He's st- saying that the state of poverty and the state of hunger and the state of sadness and the state of persecution, they all have us looking away from ourselves. We find ourselves in... St- these types of situations, and we lack the luxury of insulation. We're, we're done with looking for the light within. It has failed us. And so we're looking away from ourselves. And we're looking to God. We're open to what He will bring to us. Our eyes are on Him in hopes that He will bring us change uh, and lead us and guide us. I mean, nothing sparks our prayer life like a good crisis, Right? But Jesus is saying that to those in these states, there is something better coming. There is blessedness. I mean, that's, that's, that it, that's what blessedness is. You're in, you're in a good spot. For those of you who are looking ahead, looking for God's guidance and provision, there is provision and release coming in this life. And in the next, we have heaven and God's kingdom to look forward to. So, on the other hand, though, for those who are rich, they're well spoken of, it can be harder to remember to look ahead. Because we we have all we need now if we're in that state. We may naturally look to these things uh, that we already have to satisfy us, even on a spiritual level, rather than looking to God and all that He can bring to us. Uh, God gave us those things, and yet we look at them to satisfy us instead of God. And so what will we get if we lose those things that we are looking to now to satisfy us? We will get woe, sorrow. Jesus is not speaking, I don't think, against all who are rich or happy. Rather, Jesus is speaking into a culture that assumed that wealth and fullness and happiness meant God's blessing and Poverty and sad things implied God's judgment. Not entirely unlike our own culture. A little more overt. So in a way that was being entirely countercultural, Jesus is ascribing blessing where it might have otherwise been assumed there was no blessing. There is blessedness for the poor. There is blessedness for the hungry and the sad. Great good can come through these pitiable situations right from the hand of God. There is a sweetness and a kindness and a truth here from the lips of Jesus to the down and the depressed and the desperate. On the other hand, Jesus is ascribing corresponding caution To those who, because they are insulated by all they have, they are in danger of becoming spiritually lazy and self-absorbed. Forgetting to look away from themselves. Forgetting to love God and love others. And there's a kindness in this message as well, isn't there? Because Jesus would never just let them cast themselves out without a plea to turn and trust in Him. 
So I think that's what Jesus is saying. Question for us next is how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, I would say there's an art to it. A-R-T, art, assess, repent, trust. So first, assess. We have to assess what category are we in? Are we among those Jesus calls blessed? Are we among those that Jesus calls woeful? Are we among the poor, among the rich, among the full, among the hungry? If you find yourself in some way among the poor, or the sad, the hungry, the persecuted, looking to God for answers, then assess. What might, where might there be blessing in this? Remember, Jesus spent much of His own life hungry, persecuted, poor. So ask yourself, what might God be up to? What might God be trying to teach me in this situation? What does the cross and the resurrection say to this situation and to my future? Do I believe that God will see me through this? Likewise, if you find yourself among the woeful, that is to say, among the rich and the full and the well-spoken of, assess, am I finding ultimate value in these things? In my wealth? In the opinion of others? Is my satisfaction with God somehow dependent upon these things? Could I find happiness and spiritual satisfaction if I were to lose these things. Assess. That's first. Second is repent. If you have been too wrapped up in your own sorrow to look to Him, or if you have been too wrapped up in the stock market to look to Him, if you have forgotten His goodness or forgotten that everything you have is a gift from Him, if you have become embittered, or if you have become spiritually lazy, repent. Confess. Tell him all about it. He can take it. He already knows it. Return to the Jesus who loves you, who died for you, who rose for you, who saves you now. So assess, repent, and finally trust. I mean, whether you've been overconfident in yourself or in your situation, or in the overconfident in the insulating things in your life or whether you've been underconfident in God's grace and in God's promises, can you trust Him in that place? Can you at least say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? So I told you part of my story about being turned down for ordination. The part that I've never told you is that the bishop that turned me down for ordination was Michael Curry, who is the current presiding bishop of the National Church. Uh, that, he's, he was the Bishop of North Carolina then. And uh, you may know him, for those who are visiting, Bishop Curry preached at the royal wedding uh, and, uh, for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry uh, last year. Um, got a couple of views on YouTube. And, um, well, it turned out a couple of weeks ago, Bishop Curry was in Jacksonville. And the clergy were invited to go and hear him speak. And, you know, I got a, had a little baggage, so I kind of hemmed and hawed about it. And, um, but I figured that I better go. And so they, he talked, and then everybody had lunch. And after we finished lunch, I got about three minutes with him 
I hadn't seen him in 16 years. And with a little context, he remembered the situation. And I got to tell him how painful it had been and about how God knew that I needed to go through that and about how God had used it in my life. And I thanked him sincerely for being a part of my story. And he thanked God that God had made a way for me to serve him and his church. And we shook hands and we had a hug. And that was it. But it was important for me to know that even after all these years, God was giving me a sweet and holy reminder that He can be trusted in those painful places. That He can bring beauty from ashes and goodness from tribulation. So assess, repent, and trust. See, before God, we're all standing on level ground. The, the humble have been lifted up and the proud have been made low. We all stand before Him as poor in spirit, hungry for God's grace. So if we deny all that He has to offer, if we demand that we stand before Him on our own merits, then woe be unto us. But if we are humbled before Him, as we look up, look away from ourselves, look to Him, to what He provides, what He forgives, how He satisfies, then ours will be the kingdom of heaven. And we will be satisfied. Amen. Amen.